You are now listening to the E-Watchman Podcast with your host, Robert King. sisters, interested persons, and curious listeners, welcome to the Watchman's Post podcast. This program was recorded, well, it's pertinent near the last day of the month of January in 2016, and yes, I know what some of you are thinking. I just last month committed myself to two programs per month, and here we are, the end of the month. I feel like a pioneer who has not made his hours for the month. <laughs> well, all I can say is I'll try to make it up, right? But anyway, yes, uh, the, the year is starting off with uh, a lot of turbulence, at least in the uh, financial markets. As you probably know, I have a, a keen interest in. Uh, one day the stock market is up. 400 points. <laughs> the next day it's down, whipsawing the, the little guy back and forth. Hmm. I suppose that's the only way the big banks and high-frequency traders now can make money by creating all of this uh, turbulence. And they get it going up and then they short it going down. And uh, But it's going to be an interesting year, that's for sure. Well, I have a few questions here. That is the format of the program. And by the way, if, uh, if you want to help me do a couple of programs per month, then uh, be sure and pop me a few questions because that, that's what I feed on. And without the questions, I just sort of, my brain goes limp. So it's up to you. I'm putting it all on you. <laughs> and by the way, thank you. Uh, for those who have uh, pledged to help support my ministry and your monthly pledge, and I'll reiterate, uh, my pledge is to use all the uh, money for a promotion of the Watchman's Post on Google Pay-Per-Click so that more persons who are looking for information relating to Jehovah's Witnesses or the Watchtower can find my website. So, thank you again. I have a question here regarding the 144,000. According to the Watchtower, all those who were Christians in the 1st and 2nd century were spirit-anointed members who had the heavenly calling. They claim that the calling was still open up until the early 20th century. Yet, according to some historians, the number of Christians in the first century was very likely well over that number, and according to their own publication, there was a renewed persecution in the year 303 CE in which nearly a million Christians were killed. Given the numbers, how is it possible that the earthly hope was not applicable to the majority of the early Christians? Well, <laughs> 
everyone who's ever lived and died really has a hope, whether they've accepted it or not, of uh, an earthly resurrection. I mean, even atheists, uh, the millions of so-called Christians now who expect to, to go to heaven, who've lived and died, they, they will be resurrected back onto the earth during the thousand-year reign of Christ. Uh, but I, I don't think we can put a whole lot of stock in the numbers of you know, historians who've come up with uh, these um, sort of figures. Obviously, there were persons who called themselves Christians who were not really anointed Christians back then, just as it is today. It's interesting, though, the Apostle John, who was the last surviving apostle, he wrote in one of his last letters that he said, little children, the la the, it is nearly the last hour. No, he said it is the last hour. And he was referring to the coming of the Antichrist. Uh, but what did he mean by it's the last hour? Some critics say, well, he was predicting the end of the world and it didn't come. He was wrong and blah, blah, blah. But really, the, the last hour, as I say, pertains to the coming of the Antichrist. And back then, the Antichrist appeared in the form of the Roman Emperor Constantine, who basically asserted himself, inserted himself into the uh, mix of the corrupt Christian bishops back then, and he became the arbiter of what was Christian doctrine, primarily and the question of who Jesus was. And he decided who Jesus was. <laughs> and that was really the beginning of Christendom. And, and we know where that's led. So really, by the time of the apostle, that last hour had to do with the ending of the anointing. And whatever residual was left in the second and third centuries of persons who tried to carry on the legacy of Christ, uh, they probably were not anointed, even though they may have been ardent believers and may have been persecuted for their faith, just as some uh, secular Christians, we might call them now, are persecuted. For example, in, uh, if you're a Christian in, in uh, the Middle East, in Iraq or Syria, you may be persecuted. Although, uh, up until recently, they were fairly well tolerated. It is interesting, too. Uh, can a person really be a Christian without being anointed? Well, absolutely. And the Bible gives a couple of examples of persons in the first century who were disciples who were not anointed. And one is, by name, Apollos. And uh, he's mentioned in the 18th chapter of the book of Acts. And it says he was a, a very eloquent man, well-versed in the scriptures, and he spoke convincingly concerning the truth. It says, but he was only acquainted with the baptism of John. And Priscilla and Aquila, two, two uh, disciples, took them, took Apollos in, and it says they expounded the truth more clearly to him. Well, was Apollos anointed? No, not at that time. Because if you go into the 19th chapter, 
it mentions a dozen other disciples. It calls them disciples. They were believers in Christ. It says, however, the apostle Paul met up with them and he asked them, have you received the Holy Spirit? And they said, we don't know what you're talking about. And he said, well, what were you baptized in? They said, the baptism of John, just like Apollos. And then Paul explained to them the baptism of John was in symbol of repentance for sin. So they were baptized in the name of Christ. Paul laid his hands upon them, and it says, then they began speaking in different languages and prophesying. So at that point, they became anointed and had the fruits of the, of the Spirit, you might say, the uh, demonstration of the Spirit, just as the 120 did originally who were baptized in the Holy Spirit. Interestingly, those 120 apparently were not baptized in the name of Jesus. They were only baptized in the baptism of John. But the fact that they were with Jesus during that time, and then when they were, they were baptized, uh, their baptism resulted in their anointing. But anyone who had been baptized in, in the baptism of John and was not present for whatever reason on Pentecost, uh, then they had to be rebaptized in the name of Jesus in order to become anointed. So anyway, but it does prove that a person can be effective as a minister, as a disciple, as a believer. They can be eloquent, like many elders today. Uh, they can be zealous, well-versed in the Bible, like pioneers of Jehovah's Witnesses. And they can have the Holy Spirit, because it says Apollos had the Spirit. He was full of the Spirit. But being full of the Spirit does not necessarily mean you're anointed. <laughs> and a person can be anointed and not necessarily full of the Holy Spirit, but that's a whole other matter. <laughs> so anyway, uh, the 144,000, that's that's a solid number. I mean, there, there is simply no reason for Jehovah to take masses of persons into the heavens. His His purpose has always been for people to live upon the earth the masses of humanity, and uh, we know that's that's his purpose. Anyway, I've got a couple of questions here from a reader of the Watchman's Post, and this question is concerning uh, the flood. He says, if the Noatian flood was indeed global, where did the fresh water come from following the flood? says, of course, Noah must have stored some fresh water. Or were the oceans desalinated and then resalinated by a miracle not recorded in the Bible? If so, how did the sea creatures survive? And then he has a related question. If all flesh on land was destroyed and the land masses altered after the flood, how are we to believe the various indigenous animals got to their respective areas? Did the bison, for example, know they needed the North American continent to survive? And how did they get there? Who or what brought them? <laughs> All right. Well, first, this question on the um, fresh water. We, we really don't know the composition of, of the original seawater. We know originally the earth was completely covered with water for eons, before Jehovah's creative day began. Now, 
how, what was the salinity of the water? We don't know. Uh, did Jehovah make all freshwater fish or saltwater fish? And again, we don't know. What we do know is that God created into every creation a, a great potential to adapt to their environment. Some creatures and plants have a greater adaptability and hence a greater uh, potential for surviving, and other creatures had uh, less potential for such. In the case of fish, probably fish can adapt to either salt or fresh water if it's a gradual exposure to it. Over time, they can adapt. And it's a sudden shock of putting you know, a freshwater fish in salt water now or vice versa that would be fatal for them. But even at that, there are many fish that are perfectly comfortable in either salt or fresh water. Like the salmon, for instance. They, they go up freshwater streams to spawn, but when their eggs hatch, the, the fish go outstream and uh, spend their adult life in the ocean. And then at the end of their lifespan, they come back into the freshwater to spawn again. And there are a lot of different creatures like that. And also there are creatures, uh, that fish and different sea creatures that live in estuaries. That is where the rivers of fresh water empty into the ocean of salt water. And so there's a mix there of, of obviously less salinity in the water that both fresh water and saltwater fish can live in. So probably a lot of sea creatures, no doubt, uh, became extinct after the flood because they couldn't adapt to whatever uh, they found themselves in. Of course, all the water that came from the heavenly ocean, the deluge, that's what the de word deluge means, derived from the Hebrew word, it means heavenly ocean. All of that water that cascaded to the earth would have been fresh water. Uh, but the Bible also says that Jehovah opened the springs of the great watery deep, and uh, scientists now uh, realize that there is a vast ocean of water under the earth, <laughs> not just like well water, but way down. And uh, that's no doubt what Jehovah also opened up during the flood. Was that water salt water? Who knows? It could have well been. I mean, there are salt deposits all over uh, underground which is how the oceans have become salty over time, is that salt is leached out and other minerals, of course. Uh, but perhaps it wasn't. So those two fresh, let's say the subterranean waters were also fresh, so that would have greatly diluted the salt water of the oceans during the deluge. So perhaps that would have been more like the waters of estuary throughout the whole ocean until, and then the oceans became more uh, saline over subsequent centuries up, up until the present. I don't know, though. I'm, I'm not an uh, expert, and I don't, I don't know that anyone really is on that because <laughs> no one lived back then that is, you know, here to tell us or left a record. 
So, you know, there is a school of thought. It's called uniformitarianism, and that influences those that study geology. And, and the uniformitarianism is that the way to understand the past is by understanding the present. In other words, the way things are now is the way things have always been. And doesn't that sound strangely familiar? And Peter wrote in his second letter about those who would say, where is this promised presence of his? Why from the day our forefathers fell asleep in death, all things have continued exactly the same down to the present. In other words, nothing has ever changed. The way things are now is the way they've always been. Uniformitarianism. <laughs> uh, but obviously that, that's not true. The, the uh, other school of thought other than uniformitarianism is catastrophism. And certainly the flood qualifies as a catastrophe. And then, of course, there's creation itself. When Jehovah suspended that heavenly ocean, it says, by the word of God. And so it can't be duplicated. It didn't follow the rules of, uh, you know, evaporation and condensation. It, it, you know, it, it, there can never be another heavenly ocean suspended above the earth unless God does it. Anyway, how did the animals get to where they are now? And, uh, you know, there are a lot of animals. Australia is kind of a uh, unique case. There's animals on that island continent uh, that do not exist in nature anywhere else. How did they get to Australia? Did Noah go around dropping animals off here? No. Well, the answer to that question is that there were land bridges that used to exist and which have long since been submerged. So the animals walked and... Uh, when those land bridges were submerged and those animals were uh, cut off and separated from the land of their origin. And obviously there probably used to be kangaroos in Asia and Africa, but for whatever reason, they died off and uh, they have thrived in Australia, not having any natural predators. And you could say the same for uh, many other creatures. But how did the land bridges uh, come to exist in the first place and what caused them to become submerged? Well, probably after the flood, of course, well, before the flood, there was a uniform temperature around the earth. And that was because of this uh, heavenly ocean, which acted as an insulating blanket. So the, the greenhouse effect, we're all familiar with that. But when that uh, heavenly ocean collapsed, then the heat would dissipate very quickly from the polar regions, and the ice age commenced pretty much uh, instantly. And we're, we're still, you know, in a warming pattern from immediately after the flood. Talking about global warming, it's been going on for these past 4,000 years. So the, the ice accumulated greatly and has been receding. The ice age has been receding ever since then. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
So the, the water that was originally locked up in ice prevented and lowered the, the sea level and allowed for the animals to migrate across on these land bridges. And we, we scientists know that, you know, the land of Russia and Alaska were once connected. There was no uh, Bering Strait. And we know that Australia was originally connected to the series of well, you can look at a map and see, you know, the land bridge that comes down from Malaysia. You can kind of connect the dots to it in Indonesia and uh, New Zealand and Australia. But as the water began to melt, then the sea level rose and the land bridges, as I say, were submerged. Scientists are talking about the same phenomenon now with the melting of the polar regions from global warming that uh, some coastal cities will be submerged in 50 or 100 years, whenever, unless we have another <laughs> catastrophe. Obviously, if there's a, a nuclear exchange and uh, clouds of debris cover the sun, it would create another little uh, nuclear winter, they call it, and uh, a resurgence of the ice. Interesting questions, though, and uh, something to do with entertain ourselves with, I suppose. Uh, but we can't really know for sure how, how things were back then, but we can believe that there was a flood. Jesus certainly did, didn't he? He said that his presence will be just as in the days of Noah. So, okay, another question here. He said, if uh, Jesus Christ, the, the head of, your, of the congregation, did not allow any food to go to waste such as when he performed the miracle of the bread and fish. And if you recall, he took up uh, 12 baskets of uh, fragments. So how would we explain his allowing of the countless amounts of paper, ink, man hours of printing, shipping, and distributing that have been wasted with now obsolete information that has opened the way for so much scrutinizing and criticism that has tainted the potential receptive ears of so many across the globe who now do research on the internet before attaching or committing themselves to a possible religious organization or cause. Hmm. I don't think we can say it's really been a waste, has it? Jesus said that uh, wisdom is proved righteous by its works or by its fruits, by what it produces. And has the Watchtower literature produced anything? Well, there are some 8 million of Jehovah's Witnesses who would say yes, uh, and myself included. All that paper and ink didn't go to waste with me. I, I was an avid reader of the Watchtower's literature from going back to uh, 1973, so... I wouldn't be sitting here speaking to you now if it hadn't been for somebody distributing <laughs> excuse me, the Watchtower's literature. And I, I like to think that it has had a positive effect upon me. It's helped me to develop faith in Jehovah and in an understanding of his word. I think the, you know, the way this question was phrased, referring to Jesus not allowing any food to go to waste, Think of the flip side of this, when uh, Judas complained when uh, this expensive perfume was used 
on Jesus. He said, why, why this waste? Why wasn't this perfume sold uh, for 50 denarii? Hmm? <laughs> so really, the questioner seems to be uh, happy in himself being stumbled, I would say. And, you know, it really is up to the individual because, you know, there's a psalm that refers to those who are seeking to find a lie. But shouldn't our motive really be to seek to find the truth? When a person maybe have some contact with Jehovah's Witnesses and they go Google and are they really happy that they found some reason not to <laughs> become one of Jehovah's Witnesses? Maybe. It, it really tests a person's heart, doesn't it? How badly do you want to know the truth? Are you willing to dig and search and, and look? The Watchman's Post answers so many of these stumbling block questions. Uh, people that search for uh, information on Jehovah's Witnesses often find my website and are able to reconcile some of these difficulties. I, I, I just got an email uh, yesterday from a sister, not an interested person, but uh, a former pioneer, her and her husband, and uh, she had been stumbled, really, by some of the goings-on in, in her congregation and uh, looking on the Internet, realizing that the Watchtower's child abuse is... Uh, Child abuse problem is much larger than any localized problem. And she said she prayed about it and came across my website and has been reading it the last few weeks and is able to uh, restore her faith. <laughs> so there you go. It is interesting, though, that uh, I'd like to refer you to a, a passage in the uh, prophecy of Ezekiel, the 36th chapter. And we know this is after Jehovah has punished his organization and he uh, cleanses them of the influence of their stupid prophets and he makes them his people and he becomes their God. And this is interesting. In the 13th verse, it says, This is what the sovereign Lord Jehovah says. Because they are saying to you, that is, the nations of the world, the people. You are a land that devours people and bereaves your nations of children. Therefore, you will no longer devour people or make your nations childless, declares the sovereign Lord Jehovah. I will not subject you to any more insults of the nations or make you bear the taunts of people and you will no longer cause your nations to stumble, declares the sovereign Lord Jehovah. Well, those nations are the great crowd of people who have the, uh, some connection to the truth. And isn't the accusation against the watchtower that they break up families, they divide families? Well, that's what Jesus said. But... <laughs> Isn't that what it says here? Because they are saying to you, you are a land that devours people and bereaves your nations of children. <laughs> but Jehovah obviously acknowledges that his people, his, it, 
Israel has caused people to stumble. Nations of people. People around the world, as the questioner said, they get on the internet and they, get, and they find all of this negative stuff. Well, yeah. And Jehovah says he will not allow that to happen anymore. But see, at that point, it will be impossible for those who have stumbled to receive the truth. So we have to get over the stumbling blocks. I say people stumbled over Jesus. when, For example, when he said, you know, you have to drink my blood and eat my flesh. And some of his own disciples at that point said, this speech is shocking. Who can listen to it? He says, consequently, they left off. Were they looking to find a lie, something wrong in his ministry to relieve themselves? Apparently. And many of Jehovah's Witnesses are that way because obviously it takes a lot of effort to, to be one of Jehovah's Witnesses, to be in the truth, to do it right. There's all of those meetings and there's going out on field service and it's not just, you know, something... You, you become one of Jehovah's Witnesses, and that's it, as you know. And I think a lot of Jehovah's Witnesses tire out, and they, or they're just too restrictive. They want to be part of the world. They want to do this and that. And, and so they look to find something wrong, and they're happy to find it. Well, Jehovah, you know, he allows for, for us to reveal what is in our heart, doesn't he? Do we want to know the truth or do we want to find a lie? Okay, well, I'm going to close it out here with a call-in question. And uh, unfortunately, this caller uh, left this message. It was the very day that I did my last program. I just wrapped up the program and I got this uh, email. So it's been around for a month and I'm sorry. I wish it would, I wish it would have called a few hours sooner, but. Anyway, thanks for your question. Here's the, here's the question. Hi, Robert. This is Leonard K. Flynn, and I have a question concerning one of the thieves who died alongside Jesus while on the stake. The thief in particular I'm speaking of is the one who mocked Jesus, who said to him, if you are the Messiah, then save yourself, get down off that stake. But before I can ask the question and make the comparison, let me go to the book of Matthew, chapter 16, verse 23, and it reads, But turning his back, he said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me because you think not God's thoughts, but those of men. And my question is this. Do you think that it's possible that Satan also could have entered into this thief who mocked Jesus? Um, do you think that if indeed Satan did enter into this thief who pointed Jesus, that it was one last attempt to tempt, shame, humiliate Jesus Christ. I was just thinking about this and pondering the uh, idea in my head, and I was wondering what your thoughts were on the matter. Thank you so much. And uh, that I, I absolutely, totally agree that it wasn't just the thief who was taunting uh, Jesus. It was the, the Jews themselves. Oh, others he saved, but he can't save himself. If he comes down off the stake, we will believe him. And that was absolutely a taunt coming from the devil. Just as you say, Jesus said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, because you think men's thoughts. Because what, what is the issue? 
going back to the book of Job, uh, after Satan failed in his first attempt to get Job to curse God, he came back and uh, Jehovah said, well, you've set your heart upon my servant Job. There's no one. And Satan replied, skin for skin, a man will give everything for his life. And he was trying to prove that. Of course, Job proved him wrong, but hey, Job was just an imperfect, stubborn man. Jesus claimed to be the son of God. Remember, uh, Satan said to Jesus after he was in the wilderness, if you are a son of God, tell these stones to become bread. If you are a son of God, jump off of this temple wall because it says in the Bible, his angels will carry you and your foot will not strike upon a stone. So here Jesus is dying, his last breath. Does he really want to go through with this? He knows it's Jehovah's will. He said so. Father, let this cup depart from me, but not what I will, what you will. And Jesus, at that point, still potentially, conceivably, could have come down off the stake. If you are a son of God, come down off of that stake. Hmm. One last chance for Jesus to deviate, to act in self-interest. And what's, this, what's the account say? The last thing Jesus said, it has been accomplished. And he breathed his last. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your questions. And may Jehovah bless your search for the truth.